In the previous episode, I started talking about one of the three components of the who you are part of the trustworthiness model, the personality compatibility. As I mentioned last week, because this is a very important and very uh, complex component with the biggest impact on trustworthiness, 86%, as I imagined, it's going to take me more than one episode to talk about that. So in the previous one, I I talked about two dimensions of personality compatibility. I talked about the types of personality compatibility, uh, varying from uh, how you interpret things, your values, intentions, how you act or behave, personality traits, typically measured by personality assessment. And I went through the scope of uh, the the uh, compatibility and the scope uh, was again a continuum uh, i call it the good the bad and the different uh, going from universal absolute where good is good for everyone bad is bad for everyone through cultural things uh, that that set good is good or bad is bad based on the culture maybe even generation through situational local more to your company your group your team uh, your family maybe to all the way to personal which is where everybody is different for different reasons there is no right and wrong for the most part and it's really a matter of how compatible they are in this episode i'm going to hopefully cover the other three dimensions of personality compatibility the alignment importance and controllability Welcome to Season 2, Episode 3 of The Trust Show. I'm your host, Yoram Solomon, a researcher of trust and the author of The Book of Trust. In this educational podcast, I will challenge you to think differently about trust through the eight laws of trust and the six components of trustworthiness. But I will not only teach you about trust, I will also give you actionable advice on how to build trust, be trusted, and know who to trust. Because the answer to these two questions will have the biggest impact on your personal and professional success or failure. Can I trust you? And can you trust me? The third dimension of personality compatibility is the alignment or the required alignment or or the the created alignment. This is more on the personal side uh, or or level of uh, the scope of that compatibility because in the universal absolute level, good is good and bad is bad. And so the alignment really has to be, you have to be similar with the other side. I gave an example of if you're in a gang and murder is acceptable. So I'm not talking about what's legal or illegal, criminal or not criminal. But uh, if murder is okay, then it will be a personal thing uh, and an alignment. If if the other person is willing to murder the uh, members of the other gang, that's okay. Uh, that's okay for you. And in fact, you're going to trust them because they're willing to do that. That's not what I'm, I was talking about when I talked about Universal. So for example, even within a gang, if somebody lies to you, 
that's a problem. You're not going to trust them, even within a gang. You, you trust them that they're willing to commit burglary or murder, but you don't trust them because they're lying to you. So that's universal. The alignment I'm talking about here is at the personal level. So again, it's how it's perceived. For that, you have to have an awareness of the differences in in those values. In uh, how, for example, in the how do you communicate? Uh, how do you deal with someone of another type? So if you took any of the personality assessments like Myers Briggs, you know that the process is that you take the assessment. And after you're done, you get your score. And, and it's really, I don't know if the right word is score, because score kind of uh, indicates good or bad. The higher the score, the better you are. And, and it's not. It's, it's score along different dimensions. I'm an extrovert. You're an introvert. We both score very high. I score very high as an extrovert. You score very high as an introvert. So... At the end of that process, after you got your score and you know more about yourself, the next thing you want to do, and this is what typically a Myers-Briggs or any other type of personality assessment facilitator would do, is they would start sharing the different types. So, for example, if you take DISC, DISC would give you a color, red, yellow, green, or blue. And what people typically do is they put a little sticker, a, a circular a red dot or a blue dot or green or, or yellow, whatever your type is, on their name tag. And now you're starting to look around and you go, well, I'm red and you're green. What does that mean? How do I work with you? So part of the uh, alignment is the understanding how I work with this other person. Now, I really kind of break the alignment into three possibilities. One is that it must be similar. So if I take, for example, the ethical bar and your ethical standard, think about all the actions you must, you can take, that, that you can take, not must. Think of them as being on a continuum where in the bottom are the worst possible actions a person can take. Let's let's say genocide or murder. Okay, genocide, even worse than murder, killing a lot of people. Genocide at the bottom, hate crimes. Okay, that's the worst thing that you can do. And go up, there are the best thing that you can do. This is Mother Teresa type activities. Somewhere along that line is the legal bar, and somewhere along that line is the ethical bar. And typically, we would like to think that the ethical bar is higher than the legal bar. Which means that everything that is under the legal bar, what, what, how do we refer to something that's below the legal bar? Think about that. It's below the legal bar, so kind of going towards the worst. What do you call them? Well, the simplest word is illegal. Yes, you can call them criminal, but not everything is criminal. So it's just illegal. Things that are below the legal bar, towards the worst possible, are illegal. What would you call things that are above the ethical bar? Well, for the most part, good. These are just good things. You know, They're ethical things. They're good things. They're things you should do. This is what you call things above the ethical bar. So that's pretty easy. What's above the ethical bar and what's below the legal bar is pretty easy. But what do you call the things in between? What do you call things that are below the ethical bar and above the legal bar? 
I heard different names for those. We can call them the gray area. We can call them loopholes. Those are things that you know you shouldn't do, but you do them anyway because they're not illegal. It would be wrong to assume that the ethical bar is always above the legal bar. You may be listening to this podcast, to this episode, as you're driving. So let me ask you a question. Did you ever drive above the speed limit? Not let your car drift and and not notice that you're above the speed limit. It's just that you know that the speed limit is 35. There's nobody else on the road. You're going to do 40, 45, knowingly. Have you ever done that? That's illegal. I mean, it's clearly illegal. Driving above the speed limit is illegal. But the fact that you're not afraid to tell me that it's illegal, to say it out loud, that that you did something that's illegal. And whenever I deliver a workshop and I ask this question, people raise their hands. I'm thinking, do you realize that what you're doing right now is admitting to a crime? You are admitting to doing something that is illegal, that that can have consequences such as a fine or, you know what, maybe even jail time if you can't pay the fine. You have just admitted and didn't see a problem admitting to doing something illegal. That's because we got to the point where driving above the speed limit is not, we don't consider it unethical. It, it became legitimate. You know, we look at the government that have put a sign that suggests that the speed limit is too low and we're going to take the law to our own hands and uh, we're going to break that law. And it's legitimate. This is why I focus less on the legal bar and more on the ethical bar. Because what's important here is where do you put the ethical bar? So your ethical bar is different than mine. In different areas, your ethical bar might be higher than mine. And in other areas, your ethical bar might be lower than mine. The issue is the ethical bars for one person to trust the other person. The way this works is that my ethical bar has to be lower than yours or yours. Let's just say that yours has to be at least as high as mine in the area in which I wish to trust you. Your ethical bar has to be at least as high as mine, equal or higher than my ethical bar. What if it is higher? It's not equal. It's it's not in the ballpark. It's significantly higher. I will trust you, but here's the question. Will you trust me? This takes me back to trust law number four. Trust is asymmetrical. Yes, we always say that uh, trust is a two-way street. It is a two-way street. It's not a symmetrical two-way street. The person with the lower ethical bar would tend to trust the person with the higher ethical bar and not the other way around. By the way, there there is all, probably also a limit to that in that if your ethical bar is way too higher than mine, I may not trust you because I may be concerned that you might at some point do something that would violate my trust because you look at look down at me. You look down at my ethical bar. So when I talked about the ethical bar, 
the alignment has to be that we're similar, that our ethical bars are similar. And the closest they are, the more we can trust each other. So if, if our ethical bars are very, very different, then there, it's going to affect our trust level or the trust level that one of us has in the other. They can be complementary. So for example, my wife doesn't like to deal with the accounts, you know, paying utilities and, and our internet and, and everything else. I do. I like doing that. I, I like doing our finances. We are being complimentary. Does that mean that I will not trust her because she doesn't like doing that? Does that mean that she's not going to trust me because I'm good at doing that? The answer is no. The answer is it's complimentary. You probably heard the phrase that opposites attract. And sometimes having the same personality would actually clash. So, for example, there are people who are destined to be leaders. And as soon as they get into a situation, they immediately take control. Well, that's a problem if there's more than one in a small group. What you get is you get this group is being pulled in two different directions. We have competitions. One of them has to be the follower. Somebody has to be a follower. You know, I, I remember when I had to face this question of whether I'm a leader or an individual contributor and realized that I feel better and I do better and I contribute better as an individual contributor than as a leader. And that's when I decided that for the rest of my life, I'm going to be an individual contributor. What I do right now is being an individual contributor rather than being a leader, which is something that I'm not interested in. Pat Lencioni uh, created a new assessment, uh, I think it was in late 2020, maybe even this year in 2021. He calls it the working genius, where he breaks down uh, really the process of, he calls it productivity, into six components. I'm not going to go into that. I'll just send you to Pat Lencioni and his working genius uh, he, he actually has a, a podcast called Working Genius that talks about this assessment. I took this assessment. It's brilliant. It shows that different people have different types of working geniuses. And one of the things that he say that he says that that I think is brilliant is the fact that you can't have everybody be the same thing. So there are those who invent, for example, solutions, and there are those who execute. And those who execute may not be as good in invention, and those who invent are probably not very good at execution. I, I'm an inventor, and, and when I took uh, Pet Lencioni's uh, assessment, I found that, that I'm an inventor. I'm very strong. This is one of my working geniuses. I'm not great at the execution part. I would love to have somebody else do the execution. This is where being complementary actually increases trust rather than reduces trust. But I'll point out one thing, and that is you have to understand and acknowledge the fact that you're good at one thing and not good at another thing, and that the other person is good at the other thing and not good at your thing, and therefore you're complementary and therefore you trust each other. In fact, that the fact that you're complementary actually makes you trust each other better. So we may trust each other because our personalities are similar in some areas, such as the ethical bar. We may trust another person because they are different, because they are complementary, not just different, but complementary. So 
I'm good at one thing, the other person is good at the other thing, but not in mine, I'm not good at theirs. But that complementary nature is actually what builds the trust. So for example, in, in a uh, military unit, in, in a small team, you wanna have someone who's really, really good with the sniper rifle and you wanna have someone who's really, really good at blowing up doors. Those are two different skills and, and we train and I trust that other person to do their part and they trust me to do my part. So the fact that we're complementary is what makes us trust each other. But sometimes it can simply be different. Our personalities could be just different, not the same, not complementary, and have nothing to do with trust or lack of trust. So for example, my wife, uh, she, she's, she likes her privacy a lot more than I am. I, I'm an open book. The fact that she likes her privacy more does not make me trust her less. The fact that I'm an open book does not make her trust me less. So we can simply be different and it will have no impact on the level of trust that we have in one another. The fourth component of, uh, or the fourth dimension of personality compatibility is importance. And that is how important are those differences to one another? How important is it to you that there is an incompatibility? So, so we kind of rank them so far by the level of compatibility. And compatibility didn't mean, I, I don't want to confuse the two phrases, compatibility with being similar. Compatibility can be being the opposite, but being compatible, complementary to one another. So we're going to rank how compatible we are with the other person, whether it's the same or or the opposite of one another, but, but we consider it higher level of compatibility. But now the question is, how important is it? So it kind of gives that compatibility weight. So let's say that we're in an area where we have to be the same, like the ethical standard. Ethical standard, we have to be relatively the same to be able to trust each other. Now the question is, if we're not the same, how big of an impact should it make on the level of trust that I have in this other person? By the way, once again, ethical standards apply to different areas. So there are the ethical standards uh, related to cheating on a test, and there's the ethical standard related to whether it's okay or not to drive above the speed limit. And maybe I look at you and think that cheating on a test, I give that a much higher importance in my decision to trust you or not to trust you than I do to your decision to break the law, really, and, and decide that you're going to drive above the speed limit. And I think that for most people, this is how they look at it. And so this incompatibility or compatibility, how much do they contribute to the overall level of trust? So this is the importance that we give to the compatibility or incompatibility when we make the decision to trust another person. The fifth and last dimension of personality compatibility is the controllability. It is my ability to change something about me. So let's say that there is something uh, that we are just not compatible. I'm not compatible with you. And I want to be trusted by you. Can I change something about myself? Should I change something about myself? Do I want to change this thing? So there, there are different 
components to, to that dimension. The first one is, do I agree that this is bad? Do I agree that this is something that I should change? Let's say that you don't trust me for a certain reason. You don't trust me because I'm a risk taker. Okay, I'll take that one. And and this is a really personal, if we take the, the spectrum all the way from universal, absolute down to personal, really personal, where there's no good or bad, being a risk taker or not being a risk taker, neither one of them is good or bad. But the fact that you're not a risk taker, you're, a, you're risk averse, and I am a risk taker, well, that may cause you not to trust me because you look at me as someone who's reckless and someone who is irresponsible. And I want to be trusted by you. But the question is, do I accept that the fact that I'm a risk taker is bad? It's bad in your eyes. It's bad through your perspective. Do I accept that it's bad? And is it important enough for me to change it? Is it something that I can change? Well, I think that being a risk taker is probably something that is easier to change than not being a risk taker. So for me, being a risk taker to say, I'm, I'm going to start avoiding risk because I want to be more trusted by you. It's probably a more conscious and controllable decision that I can make as opposed to, look, I don't trust you because you avoid risk, because you're risk averse. For you to become a risk taker, that's a big deal. That's that's first of all, you have to accept that being a risk taker is good, and the way you are right now, being risk averse is bad. And and I don't want you to get from this that that I do think that being a risk taker is good and being risk averse is bad. I think that both of them are equally good. It's just they're good for different people. It's going to be an order of magnitude or more than an order of magnitude harder for you to become a risk taker if you're risk averse than it is for me to become risk averse if I am a risk taker. So the question you have to ask is, is this something that I can change, that I can control? Do I agree that it's something that I should change? Am I willing to commit it? But again, very important can I even change that in order to be trusted? Because that one personality uh, incompatibility part of me is something that you care about and you give a high weight, a high level of importance in your decision whether you should or should not trust me. This is the end of the episode. It did take two episodes to talk about personality compatibility. In the previous one, we talked about the first two dimensions. In this last one, I talked about the alignment, the importance, and controllability. As I said at the beginning of the first, uh, the, the second episode, the first in two, talking about personality compatibility, this is the most powerful, has the strongest correlation with the level of trust that one person has in another. This personality compatibility, uh, more specific, the, the shared values, but I'll treat this as personality compatibility overall. This is the most powerful correlation of 86%. We are going in a world uh, in a direction of tribalism, which actually only breaks us further apart and, and makes shared values or personality compatibility even worse. And the one thing that I want to I want you to keep in mind is 
when you get to the point of realizing that you want to be trusted by another person and you're not trusted by another person and you're willing to make changes, this one is probably going to be the hardest to change. It's going to be a lot easier to change your competence. You can learn more, get more experience and and do other things on the technical professional uh, spectrum that would allow you to be more trusted by the other person. You can change what you do during an interaction, uh, the uh, positivity of the interaction, the time and intimacy, which I'll talk about in later episodes in this season. But it's going to be hard to change some of your personality issues. Uh, I, I don't want to call them issues. Some of your personality elements in order to be more compatible with the person you want to be trusted by. And I'll talk in another episode what do you do when you can't make those changes. You're going to have to make tough decisions, and I'll tell you what. What would you like to know about trust and trustworthiness? Let me know, and I'll make sure to answer it or find the answer to it in a future episode. I would love to hear from you. Email me at yoram at thetrustshow.com. That's Y-O-R-A-M at thetrustshow.com. If you like this podcast episode, subscribe to the show so you will automatically get new episodes. Rate it. Write a review for this podcast because those ratings would help others who are looking for a podcast just like this. If you're looking for more resources to learn about how to build trust, be trusted, or know who to trust, look up my online course at trustedatwork.com. Find my books on Amazon or go to my website, yoramsolomon.com. And remember one thing, the answer to these two questions will have the biggest impact on your personal and professional success or failure. And I trust you, and can you trust me? Thank you for listening.